But yeah, I'm just so grateful to be here this morning. Every time we come in and we worship, we sing, we pray, like there's just a level of gratitude. And I want to reread. I don't really, to call what I have for you this morning a sermon would be a, would be a stretch. I have some thoughts for you and I want to finish us in prayer. But before I do that, I want to reread the, the psalm that was read during worship which just strikes me. I don't, I don't know. I just felt like we were to reread it. And, and for me, it was, um, you know, it it's comes from our readings in the Book of Common Prayer and our journals that we go through together. Um, but there's something about this psalm that calls us to depend on God and, and not on man. And we were having this conversation in prayer this morning that Sometimes, depending on God, looks like Him speaking through us, through people. Um, but nonetheless, I want to read, read it just to refresh our hearts. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs he returns to his earth. That very day his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives the food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind and the the Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Amen. I uh, don't have anything else to say other than, about that than that. Um, my son, I'll tell you a little story. I'm going to give you a few thoughts and I'm going to bring us to prayer. My son, I've, we've noticed, is really good with Legos. And we can buy him the most complicated Lego set. And if he's got, if he's got the instructions and he sits over, he will sit there and work at that thing over whatever period of time and just put the thing together, which always amazes me. Sometimes he comes and he's like, he's like, hey, this didn't, you know, this didn't work together quite. And so he wants us, you know, look at it and there's like maybe one tiny detail off, but it, it kind of blows my mind how well. I remember my parents bought me some Lego sets when I was even a little bit older than him. And I would get about 20% of the way through and be like, ah, I can't figure this out. Um, the kinds of Legos that I liked playing with, they would just give you the box where you just do anything with it, and that was sort of my, that was sort of my jam. But my my son has this um, this mind where he can like he can he can f follow the steps and and look at all the details. And how many of you is like interesting to watch your kids and to watch like you realize one of the things you realize with kids is that God has made every person so uniquely different. Because there's so many facets of God, 
every every person thinks like I I'm I'm struck by how people will say something like oh well I'm like them or I think like them or what I'm similar to them and then the reality is we're all kind of weird and different in our own ways but we all refract the image of God in these sort of beautiful ways and there is we've been in this journey and what I want to do this morning is kind of bring us to a prayer of faith we've been in this journey over the last uh, couple months talking about the walk of faith um, but there are these pictures in scripture about what our faith looks like at it, as it matures that looks more like that looks like the Lego building I want to read to you this picture that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm not going to preach this text, but I just want you to hear it. And so understand, like any time that a picture is given about what something is like in the kingdom, whether it's a parable or whether it's an explanation, it's, it's supposed to not just provoke our instruction and our willingness to respond to God, it's to provoke our imagination that we might have a deeper understanding of how He works. And so here's 1 Corinthians 3. It says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building according to the grace of God which has been given me. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. This is kind of like the detailed Lego builder. For no other foundation can can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and fire will test each one's work of the sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. Do you not know there that, that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So there's this one picture of faith that God gives us where God is a master builder where Christ is the cornerstone of that which he builds, and we also are builders upon that faith. But there are these, these other pictures which are seemingly so different. Um, like we started this whole series with the psalm where David says, um, talks about whose heart is set on pilgrimage. In Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews compares the maturing of our faith to a race that we run. Or Ezekiel 47, in Ezekiel 47, there is a description of God's working that is a river that emerges from the temple of God. And as it flows, there's life. That same picture of the river we see at the end of Revelation. And so you have these like, 
different ways in which God frames our maturing growth in Him. You have like a, a, a constructed building, but then you have a path. You have a race. You have a river. And very differently than a building, a path, a race, a river, you have to let go of that which is behind you and move to that which is ahead of you. You have to kind of like continue to move on the journey, continue to move forward like a a river is that which continues to bend, continues to see new scenery, continues to experience anew that which it's moving into. I, I think that sometimes probably in our culture we have faith much more in the imagination of the builder than in the imagination of the river, of the walk, of the race. It's like we, we imagine the growth and the maturing of God within us to be a sort of life where we accumulate an, a set of skills or truths, or things that we know about God. And that in all that accumulation, whether we're reading the Scriptures, whether we're ministering to people, that in all that accumulation, we become a well-built thing. And how many of you know, that's, that, that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying there's this, there's this building that's happening, that you are the temple. Now, I will point out that all the, all the Scriptures that point to the temple, the building, they, they mostly... Like it's, I don't think this is exclusively so. They mostly are speaking to how God is building us together. Not just how God is building you individually. Because, because it turns out you yourself aren't the house of God. We, we are collectively the house of God. But, but, but if you're with me, there, I think that a lot of us imagine our maturing like a house being built, not a river cutting through the land. Or not a race being run. And... I can't, um, I can't help but reference, as I've mentioned a couple weeks ago, I started reading Lord of the Rings. It might or might not find its way into half the sermons. Um, and if so, you'll just have to indulge me. But, but, you know, Frodo, as the story begins, has inherited this great, wonderful house, this inheritance from Bilbo Baggins, and he has the Shire, this place that he loves, this place that he's rooted, this place that's built well, and yet right at the beginning of the story, um, he's called to go off on a journey, and on the journey, you don't get to take the Shire with you, you don't get to take the house with you, you don't get to take all the things that make you comfortable in the going. Like, in when when faith is not just a house being built. When faith is a journey we're walking, there are lots of things on the way that we have to let go of to keep going down where God has for us. Are you with me? And I think that sometimes both of these things, they're they're both helpful, but we need in our imagination not just an accumulation of, of foundation and walls and doors and all these things being built, but we need to have this um, this imagination of a of a pilgrim on a journey. I've had a number of friends who've walked the pilgrimage, the Camino de Santiago, and what they what they tell you when you're walking on it is you start out with a certain amount of things, and at the very end of that journey, you've let go of almost everything that you can possibly let go of to keep going down the journey. 
Because I actually was talking to a friend a couple weeks ago who they went on a six-week backpacking trip with his son for Boy Scouts. I'm like, six weeks? Like, that is like off-grid for six weeks. He was like, yes. He said, by the end of that trip, we were shaving the edges off of toothbrushes to conserve weight. Like, every little bit matters. And I think in our hearts if we're going to be formed into the fullness of who God has, we will have to have the imagination of a house being built and a journey being walked so that we can let go of some of the things. I want you to see this in Scripture for a moment. I'm not going to go to the, go to the particular Scriptures, but, or all of them, but there's this thing that we see in the Synoptic Gospels, at the beginning of Mark and Matthew and Luke and Mark 1, we see Jesus coming to a group of fishermen, and He calls them to what? Somebody yells, yell out what He calls them to, to. Follow me, and what does He call them to be? Fishers of men. He calls them to be fishers of men. That's, that's Mark 1. I think in Matthew, it says the same thing. But I believe in Luke, I'm, I'm, I may be wrong, um, they, they actually are on this, they're on this, uh, you know, big fishing excursion and the fishing doesn't go well and Jesus like casts the nets on the other side and they draw in this huge catch. And it says that they left it all because He was calling them to be what? Fishers of men. The person that we see is Simon who's called Peter. And as, as Simon goes on, I just want to, like, let me pause and say this because I'm going to tie this in for a moment. I shared this with some friends. I know that I've been telling you guys that I've been writing this book on shepherding. I finished my rough draft Friday. And so I'm very happy with that. Um, but I recognize there's a lot of road ahead of refining and getting it to where it needs to be. But, the, but, the, but this, uh, this book is based on John 21, which when Jesus calls the disciples at the beginning of the journey, He calls them to be fishers of men. He calls Simon specifically. Simon, come and follow me. You'll be a fisherman. But the, but the very end of the journey in John 21, Jesus comes to him as he's about to ascend. And he says, Simon, do you love me? He's like, yes, I love you. Feed my lamb. Simon, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Take care of my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Third, third time he's angered, like, you know, Lord. And then he says for the final time, feed my sheep. Now, when Jesus called Peter to, you know, be fishers of men, maybe you have a fish cross on your bumper sticker, or you, you know, you've made your life motto to be fishers of men, you know, if, if so, forgive me. But I don't think he was doing that because that was the ultimate picture of who he was called to be. Like he came to call him to be a fisher of men because he's like, all right, bunch of dumb fishermen here. Let's see, what will they get? Um, guys, we're, I mean, we're going to make you fishers of men. Come on, let's just leave that fish over here. I'm not saying that's the only point there, but, but what Jesus does in every situation is that He meets people exactly where they're at. He came and called a man whose vocation was pulling in fish 
and call them to be, you know what, we'll just make this, move it just a little over easy for you to see it. We're going to make you fisher of men. But at the end of his life, when he was calling him into the fullness of the maturity of who he was calling him to be, he called him out from that which he knew into that which was unknown to him. He didn't call him to be a fisher of men. He called him to be a carer of sheep. The feeder of sheep. Throw out, I, I, we did a discussion earlier with a few people this year and we talked about this, but maybe throw out some differences between fishing and sheep metaphor pictures. What would, what would be like the obvious difference between these two things? Any, any ideas? Different animal, water, ground versus water. All right, let me, tell you, let me tell you the one that stands out to me. <laughs> I, was, I, I thought maybe somebody, but yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you the one that, there are a lot of differences, but the one that stands out to me is that when you fish, you clean the fish, you cook the fish, but you never care for the fish. There's no real affection that a fisherman has with the fish. Now, I love to fish, and I love the process of fishing, but when I pull that fish in, I'm not going to stroke his you know, backside and tell him how much you love him. I'm going to eat the fish. And that's, that's the picture. But a shepherd, a shepherd has to care for and to see and, and, and sustain that which he has to kill for his own nourishment. He has to look at every bacteria. He has to look at every part. He has to fix broken legs. He has to lead them and protect them and do all these things. Because a shepherd isn't just cleaning the fish and cooking the fish. A shepherd is caring for this this lamb all the way into maturity. And so I think Jesus calls him from where he's at, into a wider picture of what ministry looks like. How many of you with me right now? And one of the things that I've realized over the years, I've failed at this as a pastor at times, is that not every truth that's in the kingdom is applicable for every person in every season. Like God will take you down a path where you learn something. Fisher of men, that's my thing, you know. My life, destiny, got it on my journal. Got my fish cross on my camel. (laughs) God will take you down a path where you learn something. And if you have the imagination to see that He's maturing you, not just like a house being built, but, but like a river winding then at some point you will see, oh, I have to let go of that previous thing He showed me to take hold of the new thing He's calling me into. Are you with me? God will reveal things to us. And there is this one picture that God's a master builder, but there's this other picture where we have to let go to go forward. We have to let go of things to go forward. Okay, this is 
I'm going to jump to share how this has been personal, and this is what I want to lead us to prayer. When I feel like, like we've discussed many times, like many of you have, have experienced, I came up in a youth group and in a church that's such a wonderful church, really wonderful youth group, wonderful youth pastor. And it fostered in me a zeal and a passion and a belief that whatever I determined to do for God would be done. Now, there's some wonderfulness about all that zeal and that passion. But like, and I think that kind of like God, like, okay, I'm going to work with the fisherman where he's at. He's willing to work exactly where we're at. At some point, you realize in the journey that all you set your mind to do for God hasn't yet been done, and you can't make it happen. And I, I had to let go of a perspective that had got a limited, a good and limited perspective that got me to a certain point in my faith. And I had to move into a place of deeper contentment. How many of you have wrestled through this over the years? This is a very, like, feel like everybody who's gone through some level of maturity has at some point had to let go of the ambitions conflated with their faith and move into a place of, of a level of contentment. And if you haven't felt that, get ready. Um, but um, let, me, let me read this one scripture about this real quick. Here we are. My brain was glitching for a moment. Here's what, here's what uh, Paul says to Timothy about uh, contentment. He says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. How many of you have heard that passage before? Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's, that's an interesting passage that I think gets overlooked because what's the opposite of that? Like You're thinking all of the gain that I have to do in my life, ministry, the success, the ambition, and yet Paul is saying godliness with contentment, that's great gain. And when we feel the absence of gain, we feel the absence of fruitfulness, the absence of success, the absence of whatever it is. Paul is saying to, to his son, his spiritual son, he's saying godliness with contentment, this is actually great gain. For you to grow in your likeness of the image of God and come to a level of contentment, this is fruitful and good and wonderful. Okay, everybody with me so far? Is, is zeal and passion for God good? Yes. Okay. So the Lord took me, I could say, this, there's many other ways I could explain this, took me through a journey of zeal and passion to a journey of contentment. Now, contentment and zeal and passion, they can flow together, but they're pretty different. You know, like you kind of have to operate to learn how to be content. You have to let go a little bit of your, of your grip on this part of the truth of God. Now, let me tell you where I feel like the Lord is like wooing me forward now. Is, I felt like the Lord, I was asking the Lord, God, what do you want to say this week? What is it? We've been in this journey of faith. And I felt like the Lord took me back to Matthew 7, 7 through 8. You know, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Ask, you know, that whole thing. Let, let me actually go to it and read it. 
Perfect timing. Um, Matthew 7. Let him mark. Here we go. Sleepiness is still there. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him knocks, it will be opened. Jesus reiterates this in both John 14 and John 16. Jesus says, you will ask, like you've asked things of me, but when I leave, you will ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. And he says this in John 15, actually as well. And then this thing is repeated like over and over again in the epistles of John, first, you know, second, third John, that you, what, you need to ask me of things. And whatever you ask, I'm going to give to you if you ask for a right heart. James says the same thing in James 1. He says, if you lack wisdom, what should you do? Ask, and it will be given to you. And this is like a repeating theme over and over and over and over and over again in the Scripture that we need to ask, we need to ask, we need to ask. There's a faith of asking. How many of you can say that in seasons of your life you stopped asking? So I was starting to think, like, what is the faith of asking? What is the opposite? I was just like, what is the opposite of asking? I guess not asking is maybe the opposite. I'll tell you another thing that's the opposite of asking. Maybe there's multiple opposites if you think about it like that. Is assuming. Sometimes we live on a faith of an assumption. Well, God, you, uh, this is something you're doing, so I'm just going forward in it. The faith of assuming? No, it's the faith of asking. Do you know what else is like implicit in asking is that you have to ask him a question, not come with a conclusion. We've viewed questions in prayer as expressions of doubt and they're expressions of faith by every way I can look at Scripture. There is a faith of coming to God and asking Him that which you need and that which you desire. And I think that when sometimes when we go through, with follow with me here, we're on a journey, we're shaving you know, weight off of, off of toothbrushes here. We go through the journey of, okay, come out with the zeal, the passion. This is, I'm just telling you my own journey, and I know that you can relate in some way. I get to the contentment. And in the contentment season, I'm just like, God, I don't need anything. I'm fine, you know. Godliness and contentment's great gain. I don't need any gains, you know. I don't need anything else. And there's a wisdom in this to let go of desires that have framed us, have tormented us, have created anxiety and confusion and worry. There's a letting go that has to happen. But in the end of that letting go, there's another letting go and that you will have to now trust God to ask Him again for the simple things that you desire. It isn't faith to protect our heart from disappointment by asking nothing of Him. So, here's this is a long journey to get us to the point of we need to imagine our faith journey 
Not just like a a building being built, but a river winding and a journey happening and a race being run where we have to let go at times of things that even God has given us to take hold of that which He is calling us to embody in this moment. I'm not making any sort of point of relativeness. God just can't, you are an infinite being, so you can't process everything that God's doing all the time, all at once. You kind of like, you know, if you imagine like one of my, with my kids, uh, Judah is the one who eats the slowest. And what happens is we get to the end of the meal and I'm like, dude, we're about to go play the family board game or watch the movie. And I'm like, you haven't eaten any of your food. And then he just goes, ah, he just like eats all of it at one time. And I'm like, there's no way you can chew all that. And, and a lot of times, the way we process that we like, I'm just going to chew everything that God has all at once. And yet He is giving you a simple meal that He's calling you to for this moment in time. And for me right now, I feel a faith to call people to ask again. To ask again. To sit before God and say, Lord, I need you to do this. I want you to do this. I don't know what the answer is. Guess what asking means? It means I assume I might be wrong. I don't even know if I'm asking the right thing. But if you ask, that's the only way he can reframe it. But if you live in the assumption of silence, if you live in the world of silence or assumption, you don't get the, the opportunity to ask and create the dialogue. I'm not just assuming that God is healing the sick. I'm asking Him to heal the sick. I'm not just assuming that God wants to bring my business into sustainability. I'm asking Him, God, please show me wisdom to do this. I'm not just assuming that He wants me to be a good parent. I'm saying, God, please help me. And the only way that the, that the brokenness of our heart expressed and the incompleteness of our desires will be refined as if we come to God and ask Him. When James says, or John says, that you have not because you ask with the wrong motive, I don't know if this is true, but I would say it might be possible that asking with the wrong motive is a progression from not asking at all. Because at least God can sit and have a dialogue with you. So here is my encouragement this morning. Ask, ask, ask. Don't assume and don't just be silent. Ask. So I'm going to ask some things publicly. I'm going to pray my own asks. I'm not going to filter them. I'm not going to pray the prayers that I should want to pray. I'm going to pray the prayers that I actually want to pray right now. And I'm, I want to open it up for you to come and ask. And I am expecting that when I'm asking, that you're going to be asking with me on my ask. <laughs> so, I'll give, you my, I'll give you my litmus of asks. <laughs> I'm praying for our community. I'm praying that God would give us a new space. Um, because Not because we need... A, need is like, I tell my kids, please take the word need out of our vocabulary for most things. We don't need a new space. 
something we desire that I believe will help our community flourish. I'm praying for that. I'm praying... Um, well, maybe I'll just pray it. Let me just pray it in the form, and you can pray with me. God, I pray that you would give our community a space that would allow us to flourish. God, I pray, I just desire to be a better father. I know the places that I'm incomplete. Would you give me the wisdom and grace to be a better father? God, would you give me the wisdom and grace to lead this business towards a place of, of greater sustainability. God, would you let your mercy lead on this book that I'm writing? And God, would you, I just desire to be leading more people into the knowledge of you. I pray that you would do that.